everyone, and I hope your Bibles are in front of you, and may you say this with me, this is my Bible, I believe it's God's Word, I believe every word is true, and it is all that I need. Oh, we certainly do need our Bibles, don't we? Pray with me, please. Father in heaven, we come to you right now and know from this lesson in particular that that your spirit has got to be, and your hand has got to be on this particular study or it will not amount to anything, and especially for, for all eternity. So Lord, we just pray that that every part of this lesson is so anointed with your spirit that as we as we go through these verses as we talk about it that we are so mindful of your hand on this and that we're listening to your spirit so that it will affect us in our particular life right where we're at right now lord your word is sufficient for us to get through any circumstance And Lord, we especially know that Acts 13 is just what we need for right now because that's exactly what you have in store for us today. Lord, we just give you this time and pray big things because you are a big God. And we pray pray this all in our precious Savior's name. Amen. All right, as we go into chapter 13, of course, you know, being that this is is a letter, I kind of like to just touch a bit on on where we were so that we can see its continuity. And last week, we, we really started to see not that persecution hadn't hit before, but now we're really starting to see it as as the King Herod at that time had the brother of John, James, um, he was put to death by the sword. Well, then as evil as he was, he saw the reaction of the people, and so then he got the head of the apostles, so to speak, and thought, if I if I can get this kind of reaction with James, then I'm going to go after Peter. So he went after Peter, and because of the Passover, he just put Peter in prison and was going to wait for his execution until after the Passover. And then remember there were phrases last week that really, that we just couldn't help but notice that that when Peter was under this strict guard when he was chained to these soldiers, that he was sleeping. And we talked about attitude. When, when we can't help life's circumstances sometimes, we do have control of how we handle it. We do have control about our attitude on how we deal with these uncontrollable circumstances. And so we watched Peter have peace because his attitude was of such that his hand was on him and that and that that God's hand was on him and that he could trust God's perfect will in his life. And that put him at such a peace that he could sleep. And then we saw how the light shone in that prison cell and, and Peter's chains fell off and how we talked about how when our spiritual chains fall off, when the light of Jesus shines on us, our chains fall off. We are set free. And in the course of this week, I was looking at some verses and, and in John chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus himself said, so if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed. And then also what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3.17, now the Lord is the spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. 
So even though it was literal, it was literal that his literal chains fell off, uh, in Peter's case, we can see the spiritual connotation is that when Jesus shines his light on us, when we come to him in repentance, when we come to the cross, we find that our chains, our chains of our sin, of our self, it all falls off and we have been set free. And then we saw how the angel told Peter to put on put on his clothes and sandals and, and, and put his coat on and, and put it around him and then follow me. And so we couldn't help again but go to Ephesians 6 and see how the responsibility that we have, that yes, Jesus has, has set us free, but we have our responsibility, and that is to go to him, to, to come in repentance and confession and to accept this salvation. We have to do our part, and we're going to talk about that a little bit more in this week's lesson, but we see that we put on, every day we put on the full armor of God to be able to withstand our our every day, which we know we have an enemy who's going to try to steer us off course. And then we watched how how then Peter went to the home of John Mark and, and how they had been praying earnestly for him. And we talked about, again, I want to repeat that, praying earnestly. Yeah, it, it, when we pray, it's not telling God what we want. When we pray earnestly, when we pray consistently, the way Paul talked about that we are to pray consistently, constantly, that means we are to stay connected to him and constantly going to him and turning over our will to his. And that takes, honestly, a lot of work and a lot of choice and a lot of effort. When we pray, that is, we are constantly choosing his will instead of our own and that takes the Holy Spirit in us because we always want our own way. But when we pray earnestly, when we're connected to the Holy Spirit, when we're listening to the Holy Spirit's voice, then the Holy Spirit, we can rest assured the Holy Spirit is always saying, trust my will, not your own. And so they, when they were praying earnestly, they were praying that they would always be reminded to pray for God's will, even though it might not turn out the way they want. Well, then we see how um, Herod, um, while well, he was quarreling with Tyre and Sidon about just something so, so everyday and so necessary, and that is that the, these two cities got their food source. They got their food supply from the king's country, and they were just, they just wanted an audience to be able to talk over this. They wanted peace, that they could get along, that they could work this out. And, and of course, Herod, that he, he took that and it went all to his head. And, and so he, on one day, put on all his royal garb and, and he delivered a public address and, and he just loved it that he was in total control and everybody depended on him and, and everybody said These, this is the voice of a God instead of, um, of not just man this isn't just a man it's the voice of a God and the minute he the second said immediately he took that glory for himself that he was then smitten with worms. And now we talked about that, that Herod's inner heart was so bad that it, what's in your heart that 
permeates and comes out of you. And so, again, it was very symbolic and very, very applicable that he was smitten with worms that then would eat him from the inside out. That, again, shows us that we should be so conscientious of our heart condition because how our heart is is how our body will follow. But amongst all this, the beautiful verse in, in verse 24 was, but the word of God continued to increase and spread. And when Barnabas and Saul, when they finished their mission, they went back to Jerusalem. And uh, now we start up today where it says, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manin, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now, let's just talk a minute about that church at Antioch. Remember, it was just two weeks ago when we were introduced to that church. Or it wasn't a church, we were introduced to that city. And actually, it was in that city in chapter 11 where we find that it was because of the persecution, then some of them, verse 20 of chapter 11, some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news of the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Now, I remember a couple weeks ago how I said that Antioch was, was a very, oh, it was a beautiful city. It was a great city, but it was very materialistic. It was very pagan. And how these men that came from Cyprus and Cyrene, they were, they were telling the good news to these Gentiles. And because the Lord's hand was on them, Many people believed in great numbers. Well, see, that's what started the church. And now as we go to this lesson, we see how this church has thrived and why it's thrived. I mean, again, back in chapter 10, after many people believed, it said that when the news about this Antioch city, how they were turning to Christ, it said that they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he got there, he found that this wasn't just a puff of smoke. This just wasn't um, coincidental. This just wasn't hot air. Because he said, the evidence of the grace of God was there. And see, when you see evidence of God's grace in people's lives, you know it's the real thing. And so there again, this church is thriving and so as we start this chapter, it says that there were prophets and teachers, and then the, they named some. And, of course, Barnabas and Saul are two of them. But then a man named Simeon, also called Niger. And I just want you to know that that Niger word comes from the Latin, which means black. So it probably is that this man was a was a black color and came from Africa. And now Niger is a small little country in West Africa. 
So, I mean, I'm just giving you a little tidbit about in case you wondered what that name really is and where it came from. So, anyway, these particular prophets and teachers, and see, that's why this church is thriving. Because they are under good leadership. They're under good counsel. They're getting great teaching. See, this is what keeps a ministry, a church, going and growing. It's when you are constantly learning. You're constantly going into God's word for more depth of understanding. You're listening more to the Holy Spirit taking you into God's word and into that treasure chest. And it's a treasure chest that you can dig and dig and dig and you'll never reach the bottom because God's word is constantly giving forth these gold nuggets of truth and understanding. And as long as you are working at that and you're studying and you're learning and you take the effort and make the time, then you are going to grow. You're going to thrive. Well, it was under this teaching and, and whoever was telling this, whether it was Peter telling Luke, but Luke thought it important that we see that this man named Manin had, had been brought up. In other words, they probably were, were buddies. I mean, they grew up together. And what an opportunity here to see that, look at how Manin he accepted Christ. He became a part of this thriving, exciting Christ movement in Antioch. And then the contrast is the Herod, the Herod, the Tetrarch, who absolutely refused to believe, and and his his own self just exploded and thought that they were God thought he was a god. All the Herods thought that they were gods. And you can't help but see again the contrast in, in, one, in these two lives when one accepts God's word, accepts the truth of salvation, accepts Christ as their Lord. And how, when your heart is changed, how, look, it affects he is now a part of this exciting Antioch church versus Herod, this self-centered, egotistical, lost, unfortunately, man, because he chose to see himself instead of his need for a savior. And while they were worshiping, while this group of leaders and teachers and prophets while they were worshiping, they were worshiping, of course, the Lord, and they were fasting. Now, when, when we fast, when we choose to fast, that's putting, that's saying, no, let's, let's just take, we, a lot of us know that about eating. When we fast, that means we don't eat. When you fast and you don't eat, then when your body tells you you're hungry, it reminds you that you need to, to go to the Lord and whatever that you are 
fasting for? Because usually there is a reason why you are fasting. You've got something in particular. And so as, as, I, as I look at these men, and they are worshiping the Lord, but they're also fasting, they are seeking the Lord for something very special, for something that must be on their mind that's going on in the church, or, Lord, what do you want us to do next? We don't want to make a wrong decision. How do you want the gospel to be brought out? Because actually, starting in Acts 13, we're in a, another section. Acts 13 to 28 is the gospel now is going to be brought to the other parts of the world. You know, it started in Jerusalem, and then we went to Judea and Samaria. And now, chapter 13 to the end of Acts, you see what Jesus said in the Great Commission, take hold and take this gospel to the world. So maybe they're praying about that. Maybe they're fasting about that. Lord, how do you want how, how do you want us to take this gospel to the world? They're just in the right frame of mind. They're listening to God's direction through His Spirit. They're taking the time as a group to pray, to, to fast, because this is a big decision. This, where do you want us to go, Lord? What direction do you want us to take? So they were fasting, setting themselves away from everything else to just concentrate. And then look what, look what comes up out of that. The Holy Spirit said, the Holy Spirit said, and whether they heard an actual voice, I, probably not, but I think you and I can attest, we know when the Holy Spirit's voice is talking. And in that group, they were all in agreement where the Holy Spirit said, set apart. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So they had clear direction to take two of the group, Barnabas and Saul, and they knew that it was the Holy Spirit leading them, and then they, as the rest of the group, placed their hands on them and sent them off. I'm sure many of you have seen in different services where people come up and lay their hands. And you know, that is symbolic. I really feel that, that now, after what we read, what we read um, last week, and how, how, well, no, two weeks ago, in chapter 11, where it says in verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. And we had talked about that, about when the Lord's hand is on a ministry, on a church. It doesn't mean that things will always be easy, but it will thrive, and it will grow, and it will mature, and people will change. 
when God's hand is on it. And I, it just kind of shook me to my core is that I just pray that our churches today, our ministries today, that, that they take seriously this whole thing about the Lord's hand. Because unless the Lord's hand is on a ministry, it is not going to affect for all eternity. Because we don't have that kind of power in and of our human self. But when the Holy Spirit is working, when the Lord's hand of blessing is on it, there's, there's no end to what this ministry can do. So I think this is quite a, a wonderful sight to picture. After they had prayed and fasted, the Holy Spirit made it clear that two of the men, Barnabas and Saul, were to be set apart. And the Lord then would take these two and tell them what they were to go. And did you notice, because the Holy Spirit was directing, because they were all in the right frame of mind, there wasn't anybody saying, well, why those two? How come not me? How come? How come? How come? <laughs> there was no question. They were in total agreement. So the two of them set on their way by the Holy Spirit. Luke is making sure that Theophilus knows <laughs> As he writes this letter to him, Luke wants to make sure Theophilus knows that we should dare do nothing in our own strength and power. That we should never think that we are all sufficient. That being led by the Holy Spirit, by wanting God's hand of blessing on us is something that we want and desire and we don't want to make a move without listening to his voice. That we don't take the time to say, Lord, is this what you want? When we make a decision, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this the direction you want me to take? I think these first verses of chapter 13 just is very relatable, that we have to think about that. How often do we really go to the Lord and ask him, is this what you want? Are we willing to take the time to, to pray and fast over a decision? And it says these two men went out, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Sil Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Now, Cyprus was an island. And so they first went to Seleucia, and then they sailed to the island of Cyprus. And then they went to Salamis, and that was a town on the island of Cyprus. And you will notice that in Paul's travels, he goes to the Jewish synagogue many times. Paul 
We're going to see his name change from Saul to Paul now in this chapter. But even though he's the apostle to the Gentiles, you will notice that, yes, he's still a Jew and he still cares about the Jewish people. And he wants them to know about Jesus. And so as they go on into this town, they proclaim the word to this Jewish synagogue. And then it's, it's important, I think, that we see that John Mark was a part of this team at this time. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. Paphos was kind of like an Antioch. It maybe wasn't as plush, but it was very pagan. People worshipped the goddess Venus. And so when they entered that town, they met a Jewish sorcerer and also a false prophet. So this Jewish sorcerer was also a false prophet. And he, he called himself Bar-Jesus, which means son of Jesus. Son, son of Jesus. And you could tell that Luke didn't want any part of this. Jew, Luke didn't want to, he didn't, he didn't want to call him by that name at all. And so that's why you see later in this passage, as I read, you'll see that, that he has another name, Illimus, which does mean sorcerer. But Luke does not want to even go there thinking that that could possibly be his name. He was an attendant of the proconsul, Sergius Paulus. And the proconsul was an intelligent man. He was a very important man. And he, was, and he sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamus, the sorcerer, for it, that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamus. Oh, and I like this because there was no hesitation. There was no kind of softening the blow. Paul, then Paul looked straight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Boy, this was, this was potent talk right to his face. 
calling him, you are a child of the devil. You're an enemy of anything that is right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting? And boy, that, that really got me too because I thought, when you are not living right, your life is perverting the right ways of the Lord. I mean, you can't have it both ways. But Paul was not afraid to look straight at Elymas and stand up for the godly principles, the word of God, black and white, right and wrong. And I can't help but wonder if we would be in a different place today if we were more direct that we dared stand up for the word of God and God's principles and right and wrong and not be afraid to call sin for what it is. That when we're not living the right way according to God's word, we're perverting the ways of the Lord. I think sometimes we have turned black and white and tried to combine the two to soften blows, and that's why we live in such gray area now. But I can't help but appreciate Paul daring to look at this man who was wrong and dare confront him. And then in verse lesson he said, Now the hand of the Lord is against you. See, this is what it looks like when the hand of the Lord is not on you. And when the hand of the Lord is against you, you're going to go blind, and for a time you will be unable to see the light of the sun. Don't you wonder if Paul thought, and I know exactly how that feels, and this can be very productive time? Remember when Saul was, was his sight was taken from him for three days, and there he sat, and he had plenty of time to think about his life before Ananias came. And now, Paul is pretty much saying the same thing. That you're going to go blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun, and you too will have plenty of time to think about your life, and maybe think about how spiritually blind you are when you are sitting there in actual physical blindness. And immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. And when the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. I think Luke made sure that he put that in there because so often 
I think people believe because of what they see. And I'm sure that that helped. But Luke makes sure we know that the pro-council, he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. He had listened to Paul and Barnabas. He, had, he listened to the teaching that they had about the gospel. And he believed because of that. Because of the truth. It wasn't just because he was awed at what happened to Elymas. That's why God's word in his teaching we so often want to see and we want to feel. But our real spiritual growth and our, our, real, our real belief system, our heart beliefs, belief system, comes when we study God's word and we listen to that inner voice of God's spirit teaching us. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now that's all we know. We know that John Mark came in verse 5, and in the course of these travels, you know, Many have tried to figure out why. And the reason why he was sent back, we don't know exactly, but we do know that Paul pretty much did not want him a part of the team. Maybe he was too young. Maybe, maybe he just couldn't handle it. Maybe Paul thought maybe he should go home and because Paul knows what it was like to be sent to Tarshish for 13 years or so. Maybe John Mark needed some growing up time. We know that if there, for, for whatever reason, there was friction, we know that it was all water under the bridge later. And a lot happens when we spiritually mature so all we know right now is that John Marcus left the team and from Perga they went on to Pisidian Antioch. This is not the Antioch of the, of the first part of our chapter. This is a different, and if you have a map, it's kind of fun to kind of watch the journeys of of Paul, his missionary journeys. And then you will see that this is in another area, Pisidian Antioch. On the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. And I'm sure they just wanted to be a part of this synagogue service. And the, the synagogue service has a uh, they have kind of like a, if you would have it a bulletin like we have a church, you could follow the order of worship or what, the whatever you call it. And in the synagogue, they would always start out with prayers. And then there would be a, a, some readings out of, the, 
out of the Torah, which is the first five books of the Old Testament, the books of Moses. And then if there was an educated person in this group, then they would get up and expound on the reading, probably like ministers do. They take a scripture and then they expound. Well, that's what was happening and Paul and Barnabas were a part of the synagogue and they were sitting there listening and then all of a sudden they said to Paul, brothers, or to the group, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. So apparently they saw Paul and this group as educated. Maybe, do you have a word for us? Do you have a word of encouragement from this particular reading? They gave them an invitation. So Paul motioned with his hand. Standing up, he motioned. Because remember, Paul is very educated and very eloquent in his teachings, in his in what he had learned under Gamaliel. I mean, we've gone over this, how how he was top of the Pharisees. He was highly respected in his knowledge. So he stood up and emotioned with his hand and said, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God. In other words, men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, it's Gentiles who bought into Judaism. Because there were Gentiles that had become like Jews. And they believed in the Jewish teachings. Men of Israel, you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. Now this is where Paul is really going to show how much he knows and how the Lord used his past and all of his education to be able to stand up with confidence and go back to that Old Testament and know it backwards and forwards. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their time in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. See, he's talking to people that he doesn't have to go into specifics because they know. But by saying this, they know that he knows. They know that he's talking about Jacob's family and then they thrived in Egypt. And that little group of 70 turned into million. 
and how then they were they were persecuted for 400 years were under the the iron hand of Egypt and God's great power came in through the 10 plagues especially the deliverance by blood of the 10th one so they would know all the details so with mighty power he led them out of that country he en- he endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. God overthrew seven nations in Cain and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king And he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. See, look how Paul knew all those details. He was speaking right on their level. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior Jesus. As he promised. See, now he's basically saying, I want you to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I want you to see that the story has continued. That what the prophets prophesied for hundreds of years came to be. Jesus has come. So again, let me read. From this man's descendants, David, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John the Baptist was completing his work, he said, who do you think I am? I am not that one. No, but he's coming after me. With sandals, I am not worthy to untie. See, can't you understand what Paul's doing here? He got their attention by meeting them on their level in the Old Testament. So now they're listening intently. Now he's bringing in the promise fulfilled. And then in verse 26, he says, Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles. See, he's including himself. I'm a Jew. Brothers, we're children of Abraham. So that makes us brothers. And you God-fearing Gentiles. 
I want you to know we're, we're all in this together here. It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers, they did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. And we know that Jesus died on a tree, a cross. That was the most cursed death. And he was cursed. The curse was put on him so that we could be free, so that we could be blessed with salvation, with grace, undeserved favor. But then verse 30, but God raised him from the dead. In other words, I don't care who those leaders were, I don't care if Pilate summoned him to the cross. I don't care even if he died. Men or death could not destroy him. God raised him from the dead. I think that is such a Jump out of your chair verse. I think you could, you'd probably, if you heard Paul, you could hear him say how Jesus died on this tree. He was laid in a tomb. It really happened. But all the human authority or death itself could not destroy him. God raised him from the dead. And for many days, he, has seen, he, has, he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. Again, you can look back and say, that's why when Judas needed to be replaced, why the criteria had to be that the one replacing him had to have been there and have witnessed and had seen with their eyes, heard with their ears. Because as this message was now going to the world, they could say, Paul could say, there literally was witnesses that saw it, that heard it. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. Did you just love when Paul said, I've got great news for you. What God promised all of our people, 
All of the Jews, the Israelites, the chosen people. He fulfilled it. He did it. He raised Jesus from the dead. As it is written in the second psalm, you are my son. Today I have become your father. What proof when David wrote that? What, what prophetic proof that Jesus, yes, he was the son of man, but he was 100% son of God. The fact that God raised him from the dead, never to decay, is stated in these words. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. I'll tell you, Paul is showing how much he knows he went. He went back to Isaiah. He went back to Psalm 16. He even quoted from Habakkuk. How the Lord uses that's why Paul was chosen. He had to go through all of what he had to go through growing up, being raised, a stout Jew from the tribe of Benjamin, taught by the best teachers in the Old Testament. For moments like this, this is not coincidental that Paul knew all this. For when David had served, verse 36, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his fathers and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. When he used that word proclaim, it's like when Jesus was announced good tidings of great joy, proclaiming I want you to know, brothers, you can take this knowledge, you can take all of your Judaism, and there is the rest of the story. And his name is Jesus. And even though the Jews did not want to believe he was the one, and they had him crucified on a tree, and they buried him in a tomb, Death itself could not contain him. God raised him from the dead. And through him, through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is being proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is justified. 
Through him, everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. Only Jesus can free you from your sins, can remember them no more. You can be justified just as if you'd never sinned. And this is where the law of Moses couldn't do that. So there's no need for a sacrificial lamb on, the, on Passover. Instead, we have the sacrificial lamb who paid it all, who remember every time we sit at the Lord's table and partake of the bread and the juice, his body and his blood. Take care of what the prophets have said. Take care that that doesn't happen to to you. Take care what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. He is warning. He's He's taken the words of Habakkuk and is recalling them that they should remember these verses. And he's basically saying, they were told by Habakkuk for you today. They're used as a warning. That if you stay mocking this, and you laugh about it, and you don't think it's important, and then you die, never having responded to salvation and coming to the cross in repentance and confession and seeing yourself in need of a Savior? If you die never having that experience, you're going to experience something and the word is judgment. And the sad thing about it, instead of the Lord calling you by name, he's going to say, I never knew you. And instead of saying, welcome into your heavenly home, he will send you straight to hell. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism, they followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. As they followed, I think Paul and Barnabas just kept talking. And they kept saying, listen to this gospel. Listen to this message of salvation. Continue in pondering about God's grace. He didn't have to do that. You and I did not deserve God's grace. That's why it's called grace. So they kept talking. They kept urging them. Think about this. 
Think about what Jesus was willing to do for you and I, sinners that should have been lost. But instead, because of him, we can be found. That's grace. Think about it. On the next day, or on the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Oh, I'm sure Paul was dynamic, and not only because that he was a good speaker, but he was so sold on what he believed. And so they all wanted him to come back, and they wanted to hear more. And so on the next Sabbath, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. Ah, what a kill joy. Jealousy kills joy. And talked abusively against what Paul was saying. Now all of a sudden, self got back on. Instead of listening to God's voice through Paul, they looked at the crowd and thought, hey, how come we don't get crowds like that? And all of a sudden, God was pushed God's voice was pushed out and all they could hear was the voice of themselves, the voice of folly, the voice of jealousy. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly because when they started talking abusively, Paul and Barnabas again spoke up boldly and said, we had to speak the word of God to you first. We believe that the gospel came first to the Jews. And so when we saw a synagogue, we came to you first. We tried, we tried telling you by taking the Old Testament and moving it right into the new. We tried to show you by calling you our brothers because we're fellow Jews. We get you. We wanted this for you in the worst way. But since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. In other words, we're turning to the Gentiles because of your attitude, because of your rejection, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We're moving on. The Lord commanded us to go to the Gentiles. He, he told us that he made us a light to be able to take the light of the gospel to them. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored that the word of the Lord, about the word of the Lord. And for all who, appoint, who were appointed for eternal life believed. I'm going to read that verse again. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord. They heard and they honored the word of the Lord. 
and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. Again, and I don't want to take much time to go into that, but so often that verse is used to divide and to think that when God created every one of us in his image, that he deliberately chose some to be saved and some not to be. And as we saw, when we saw how Peter himself last week, two weeks ago, when we saw Peter in chapter 10, verse 34, he said, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. When God created us, of course, he created us in his image, but he created us in this world was perfect. It was sinless. And we all know the story of Genesis 3 and how Adam and Eve's sin changed everything. But in that same chapter, we see that God starts that gold thread of salvation to buy us back, to redeem us. But even in the garden, he had created trees and he created one that he said, you may not eat. When God created us, he intended for us to have responsibility. He he created us to have to choose Even in the garden, they had to choose not to eat from that one tree. And you wonder, why did God do that? Because he did not want puppets. He wants us to take responsibility. The same thing in the Garden of Eden, he is saying to you and I. God so loved this world that he gave his son that whosoever believes. He wants to make sure that you and I see we have a responsibility to make a choice. Am I going to listen to God's voice? Am I going to take the salvation message of the gospel and say yes? I don't want to get so worked up into this whole thing because we put human definitions to words like predestination, election, who were appointed for eternal life. And man, with all of his, his humanness, tries to define God's mind. But I think we get it so complicated, and it doesn't have to be complicated. It's not God's will that any perish. And he would never show favoritism. And Peter in chapter 10 of Acts said, I saw that now. He will take people from any nation 
He will take anybody who will what? Take responsibility and obey the terms, which is believe that Jesus came to be the Savior, my Savior, your Savior, because we desperately need a Savior. And every one of us is lost, worthy of hell. But because of his great love, he made a way. But our responsibility is to acknowledge that and to go to the cross and accept this salvation and receive his spirit. To those people who think, well, God chooses those he wants and he doesn't choose some, well, apparently, if I'm one he doesn't choose, then I guess I'm lost. Or someone would dangerously say, well, I've been raised in a good home, so apparently I'm one of those, but never personally went to the cross of Christ themselves. No, God gave every one of us a responsibility to hear this message. Once we come to the age of accountability and we know right from wrong, we have a responsibility to choose whether we want to believe this or not. Because I just read to you that God doesn't pick favorites and he will choose whoever whoever will come to him on his terms. And apparently in verse 48, the Gentiles that were listening, who God foreknew that they were going to receive this message into their heart, he knew We cannot fathom the mind of God. Before we were even born, he knew what our choice would be. So we just cannot get so caught up with the fact that, or believe the truth that God would pick favorites that he'd pick one person in a family and not another one? I'll tell you, if you have thought that you were not one of the chosen and you just feel like you're doomed because you're lost anyway, because you look in the mirror and say, obviously, I'm not worth it. And you don't take these words, these love words of the gospel and respond to them and watch how Jesus through his spirit can change your life. You are missing it because he wants you badly. But you need to take the responsibility and follow his terms. Or maybe you're thinking, I don't have to go to the cross. I'm a good person. I've been raised in this. And you've never humbly seen yourself as a sinner in need of that grace, that undeserved favor. 
both ends of the spectrum, you're lost. And you both have to come to the middle ground, and that middle ground leads you right to the cross of Christ. You will come to that cross, and you will see, and you will hear Jesus say, Come. This is why I came to earth. Come and receive what I did for you. And it's that word. It's the gospel word in verse 49. It's that word of the Lord that spread through the whole region. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. This is such a sad verse. The word of the Lord was spreading. But those Jews, because they were so jealous, they went after popular, influential people. And these people stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So Paul and Barnabas, they shook the dust from their feet in protest against them and went on to Iconium. I wrote in my Bible right there, when they, when they shook the dust from their feet, I believe they were saying, we tried. We tried every way that the Spirit had us try." but you wouldn't listen. You wouldn't take that responsibility. You wouldn't follow the terms. But the thing is, you know what? They didn't give up. They didn't wallow, saying, oh dear, what did we do wrong? No, they gave them the gospel. They tried. And they said, well, if you don't want to receive it, if you don't want to take responsibility for yourself, your lost self, and your sin, then you better go to Habakkuk, Habakkuk and see what, what's going to happen. But we're then moving on. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You bet. You don't give up. You just can't give up. And let me just read this verse from Ephesians, from Paul's hand. Ephesians 1, verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith that you believe that this gospel is true. And this is not from yourself. It is a gift from God that we never forget. If you've gone to the cross of Christ, it's because you took responsibility from the truth that the Spirit was telling you. You need a Savior. And Paul is saying, because he was talking from experience, a very religious man, and said, let us never forget that it's by grace 
that we have been saved. That we chose to believe it, even though we couldn't actually see it. We chose to believe God's word. There is nothing we could do to save ourselves. It is a gift. Father, thank you. That's all I can say. For while we were yet sinners, you sent us a Savior. Lord, I just pray that if there's anyone who thinks maybe because of who they are and how good they are and they've been raised knowing this so good in their head, but they never humbly, personally saw themselves in need of a Savior. Or the one who thinks they're just lost. Nothing can be done. Apparently I wasn't one of the chosen. Father, may they hear that voice saying, come, you are welcome. Father, as, as Peter said, as Jesus himself said, this kind of love will take whoever, whoever will be willing to come and see themselves. Father, may we stand in awe today. Like Paul wrote in Ephesians, that we see it as such a gift and we never, never take it for granted. We thank you for how you developed Paul. How you had him prepared so he could be able to talk with such confidence and yet bring in his personal testimony of salvation through Jesus and Christ alone. But then we see what self can do when, when self doesn't want to respond to the responsibility of listening to the gospel and choosing to believe it. Father, this is so clear. Thank you for making it so clear. In Jesus' name, amen.